Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. So, Mr. Davis, we ready for some tech gumbo today? Absolutely. Let's start off with talking about Instagram is possibly going to come out with a competitor for Twitter sometime this summer. Well, they definitely are coming out with it. The question is, will it be a competitor? You, know, you have Blue Sky is out there, which is uh, people are kind of talking about it. There's some buzz around it, but it's still in, in a very limited beta. It's from Meta, you know, it's similar to Instagram. If it's big enough, if it's good enough, this could really kill Twitter. When you consider the base of existing customers that Instagram and Facebook already has in place, and they start pumping, hey, go check out whatever they're going to call it. And it's just like Twitter, but without Elon Musk. And that's how they're going to promote it, I'm sure. And people start going that and they find out, hey, this is not that bad. This is kind of fun. Maybe they they put some additional things into it that Twitter doesn't have. Hopefully, they don't do allow you to have 10,000 characters. 250 is a good number-ish. Yeah, I agree. I think it's there's a lot of things that seems like they'd be very easy for Twitter to have implemented over the years that even Musk could have implemented whenever he bought it back in October that would have been meaningful quality of life improvements that Twitter just hasn't done. And so if you're building something from the ground up and you have the sudden influx of former Twitter software engineers who left the company in one of their many purges. And so they have all these ideas. They know how the the structure works and they want to come build it for you because Twitter wasn't that technically complex. It wasn't like it was some really deep, impressive technology. It's the usual stuff, but it's not that big wasn't that crazy you could definitely make twitter without musk give it some fancy name integrate it into instagram integrate it into facebook and and you know you're really doing something there considering you already have the network you have the data centers spread around the world you have their infrastructure already you're just gonna look to add some more space onto the platform 
oh, this isn't, I mean, I could see this really taking off. And if it does, wow, what's going to happen to that blue little bird on the side of the building? Uh, I think you're totally right. It comes down to, do the users want to go there? Are you creating a place wherever people are enjoying themselves, wherever they see things that they do like, and they're not seeing things they don't like? And are you creating a place wherever advertisers feel like their brand is going to be safe? Because that is why a lot of advertisers are fleeing Twitter is that there's just crazy things happening there now. And so can Facebook say, hey, look, GM, hey, look, Ford, we can place your ads in front of the people you want to see. And there's not going to be a screaming idiot next to it. So that's a very powerful message. It really is. And I wonder how fast Twitter would collapse if Instagram does launch this and it's a real success. Does Twitter last six weeks? Do they make two, three months after whatever this new platform is going to be called? If it hits real, like it's a bang, it's, it's go, everybody's going there. How long does Mr. Musk investment last? Oh, I think it's the best way that I saw it described was a social media bank run. That if you're going to generate a runaway effect, and the only real other example that I can point to is dig to Reddit. And that's kind of niche. It's about a 15-year-old reference, and not many people are going to get it. But uh, Dig basically made some decisions that a lot of people hated, and the only difference was Reddit already existed. It just wasn't big yet. But inside of that two weeks to a month spam, people flocked over, and Reddit has exploded in growth, and I don't know if Dig exists anymore. And so, yeah, I think you're totally right that, man, you could see... 50% usership drop in inside of a month if this is good or if Blue Sky ever goes full open beta. It could be that devastating. We will definitely keep our eye out and check back with you guys once some new activity happens. Now, we've certainly talked a lot about ChatGPT over the past several months. Interesting that Apple has come out and said they are not allowing their employees to use ChatGPT at Apple, but yet Apple released the ChatGPT app for the iPhone. I think this isn't as necessarily hypocritical as it looks on its face, because the biggest thing that Apple is concerned about is confidential data from the company. There have just been one too many oopsies wherever a wire has gotten crossed and the output from a prompt has gone to a different person. This is a phenomenon which has happened a couple times now. And for a lot of companies that have very sensitive code bases, that it's just not worth the risk to them. And so my guess is that OpenAI has also marketed ChatGPT in this way. They're saying, look, this is not business-grade software. It is not designed to be business-grade software. In the future, it will be. But this is still just novel. It's still fun. That's why the 3.5 is free. It's don't put the sensitive stuff in here. That's a that's a consistent message that we've seen so far. Moving along, interesting article we came across talking about how cybersecurity leaders are suffering burnout at a really, really high rate right now. This makes a lot of sense to me that the posi position of chief information security officer, CISO, is pretty new. I would say definitely less than 10 years, probably less than five years. And the amount of responsibility that is very quickly being heaped on their plate, and my guess is the resources aren't matching the responsibility. 
And so undergoing tremendous stress, burden, tremendous liability, and not having the tools to fix and solve all that, yeah, you're going to create a recipe to burn people out. And not only not have the tools, but then not have the support, not have the resources that you need. Here, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm your chief information security officer, and we need to do this. And then to be told, yeah, but we don't have the money, so we can't. And so what are you going to do? Wait, I'm just telling you, we're, we have a huge exposure that could cost us a hundred times more than what the, I'm trying to, to spend to protect it. And well, we'll put it in the budget for next year. And these people are really getting burned out really fast. Yeah, because it's also maybe it's something that you need uh, hardware, you need software to, or maybe it's things like you have new users or you have new things that come along like ChatGPT, that whenever you have users using ChatGPT, maybe that exposes a new vulnerability. And this was not a problem that existed eight months ago. And now all of a sudden, this is a whole new thing that lands in your plate and there's just numerous challenges that pop up, and it's, that's the problem with cybersecurity is this constant game of whack-a-mole, and you're never really secure. It's just what level of risk are you willing to accept? And then there's the other problems, like the Uber's chief security officer who was charged with obstruction of justice, or the people who've worked for Twitter, the, the whistleblowers who... They were being told by their by the CEO, don't say a word. You can't say anything. They know there's a problem out there. They know there's unbelievable amounts of risk and potential's coming. And so they're sitting there wringing their hands, probably not sleeping well at night, knowing that they're going to get whacked because here comes whenever the inevitable that problem does happen and it, and it gets out. Then everybody's going to blame the information security officer, not the CEO who told who told the chief information security officer to not say a word. Yeah, because, you know, once you get above a certain level, it's business security, but it's also national security. A lot of these companies like your Twitter, like your Uber, like your Facebook, that's the ability for malicious foreign actors to hack in and to start to influence accounts or influence the network. You could cause meaningful changes. And so those are things which, yeah, sure, it affects the bottom line, but because so much of our communication, so much of our society is now moderated through these platforms, they need to be protected. We need to trust them as the public. And so that is just a completely another complicated layer placed on top of their already difficult responsibilities. Speaking of responsibilities, the Supreme Court has given a win to Twitter, Facebook, and Google in these liability cases involving terrorist attacks, and they basically just took a pass and didn't even look at Section 230. Yeah, the ruling basically said that the Supreme Court is not going to touch 230, that they said that any attempt to poke it or prod it in any sort of way would be catastrophic. It would have vast unintended consequences, and this is this is for the best, that we need legislation on this. We need broad, comprehensive, extensive legislation which deals with all these technical issues cropping up, and these Supreme Court cases were not the place to interfere. This is 100% the right thing for the Supreme Court to vote nine to nothing 
to have nothing to do with it. This is all about the legislative branch taking on Section 230. This is not about the judicial branch. Nine unelected people should not be making the decisions that need to be made and will have to happen before too very much longer. So good for the Supreme Court to vote unanimously. Nope, sorry, we're not we're not playing. I totally agree. ESPN has said they're going to launch a streaming platform on the, their whole flagship channel that would allow you to bypass the cable providers. This is actually very interesting. Right now, if you are watching ESPN Live, what it looks like they're talking about here is the ability to be able to buy that straight from ESPN itself and not have to go through a Cox, not even have to go through a YouTube TV. The fact that you could watch everything live, all the football games, all the basketball games, Sports Center itself. That's a big deal because you can only get those through the cable companies right now. That's right. Every time I go to ESPN.com to watch an event, it asks me, okay, who's your internet provider? Oh, yeah, it's Cox. And it, it's finally gotten to the point where it, it just knows that I have a Cox cable account for now. And, and so it doesn't ask that anymore. This would be interesting because the amount that ESPN would have to start charging me is going to be real interesting. Every cable subscription, ESPN gets $9.42. Well, if that's the mon- the amount of money that ESPN's good with to provide those cable outlets, how much more would it cost if now they're dealing directly with the public and not going through an aggregator like a Comcast, like a like a Cox, like a like a YouTube TV? Then okay, so here's another $25, $30 a month streaming platform that I'm gonna have to go pay for. Yes. The reason that it would potentially be more expensive is that $9.42 is essentially charged to every person who has a cable subscription, regardless of whether or not they're actively watching ESPN. But if only the people who want to watch ESPN are going to pay for their streaming service, that means that if it costs roughly the same amount of money to produce and you now can divide that amongst fewer people – your average cost to your consumer is going to go up. And that's the question is, how much is it going to go up? One example that you mentioned of around 30 bucks, Madison Square Garden has a streaming channel where they show the Knicks games, they show some New York Rangers games, they show the Buffalo Sabres. So a lot of the New York City specific stuff happens on that platform and it's 30 bucks a month. And so is that a reasonable price for ESPN to be? Speaking of how much it costs for streaming services, Netflix has come out and they have finally made the announcement that in the U.S., if you're sharing your login and password with users who are not under your roof, it's going to cost you an extra eight bucks a month. Yes, they have said that this is coming at the end of June. However, this is the third or fourth time they've pushed this deadline back, but this time they mean it. This time they're serious and for real. We'll see if that actually happens. But they've also said, though, that in those other places, the ad-supported branches of Netflix are actually seeing a lot of sign-ups, seeing a lot of interaction. That's right. 
Roughly 5 million people have signed up for the Netflix plan that has ads. That's roughly 25% of the new signups over the past several months, which is an astounding number to me that people would be paying to have ads in their Netflix because everyone went to Netflix so you wouldn't have ads. It's going to come down to what are the tiers that, for example, I have the cheap Hulu. I actually have my Hulu and Spotify bundled together, but my cheap Hulu has ads in it. Now, I watch it on my computer with an ad blocker. And so whenever I'm on my computer, I don't see ads. But if I'm on my phone, if I'm on the TV in the living room, then I see ads. But, you know, if they're saying that Netflix is going to be nine bucks a month with ads or 20 bucks a month for the premium ad free, that starts to look like a lot of other subscription services that we've seen across a lot of places in the internet. A lot of places will say, we'll give you a free version, but we're, or we'll give you a reduced price version, but we have to show you ads, or you can pay to have ads removed. We're just coming at this from the other direction in that normally you pay to have the ads removed, not you have your price reduced to have the ads inserted. And it's when you're going to get this email from from Netflix to say, hey, look, we've noticed a whole lot of extra profiles on your account that don't live in your house. You're going to have the choice of paying $8 per month for every one of those additional profiles. Or, as we've mentioned in the past, you're going to have to tell every one of those profiles to click on the link and go create their own account and get off of yours. Your call, if you're out there, if you're one of those people who you've had, oh, five, ten roommates over the past decade and you've all been sharing that same password and username and password, and but it's all on your account because, oh, you've been using their ESPN, they're using your Netflix and you're, you're using their Disney and y'all have all, everybody's been sharing all of these. That's going to come to a screeching halt real fast. And it's going to be interesting to see how many people say, do I really need Netflix now? That's me. I, I could not tell you the last time that I specifically put on Netflix to watch something on Netflix. And given that we don't live in the same home anymore, I don't know. Maybe if I can put my profile on ice and then somewhere a year from now I come back and if there's some shows I want to watch. But I, I've just there's so many platforms out there. There's so much content. You know, I, I really couldn't say that it's worth it to me to pay that money to Netflix because I just, I don't know. I, there's nothing out there that's really grabbing me right now. And I really do wonder how many people are going to shrug and say, oh, all right, guess I'm not watching Netflix anymore. I think it's going to be a bloodbath of how many people who have been sharing their passwords and sharing their, their group of five friends. And you pay for this and you pay for that and you pay for this. And they all each individually pay for one of the services and they all share a, a username and password. And then the one person who's got that Netflix account is going to have to pull the plug on everybody. And that's going to lead to a whole lot of interesting conversations. I, I think also it really, it's going to harm their, relevance in the culture i think that that's one of the things which keeps a lot of these prestige television shows or even just popular television shows popular is that a lot of people can watch them 
and just having fewer eyeballs on them, I think is a bad place to be. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.